there's like the tea party thing, but then our tea party is like the lamest thing ever. I mean, it was kind of a funny type of act anyway. Like we're going to go dress up as Indians, right? Yeah. And then we're going to go to these boats and we're going to throw tea overboard. How historically accurate is all that, really? Is it it myth? Is it like American legend? Yeah. Was there a giant blue ox there to (laughs) strap the tea to and have him pull it overboard? A stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. Well, hello, hello. Oh, hi, Stephen. Hey, Brandon. How are you? Just uh, got dolphins on the brain, man. It's not good. You should definitely talk to somebody about that. Yeah. I don't know if that's more physical or more psychological. Well, yeah, it hurts. They're, they're all in, they're in there. They're, mm-hmm. they're, my, my skull is busting at the seams with uh, cetaceans. At least they're smooth. That's very good. They are cetaceans. Yeah, the whale. Thank you. Whales. Whale whales folk. and dolphins. Yeah, they're in there. Notorious for, evolutionarily speaking, coming from the water, mm-hmm. going on to the land, yep. deciding the land sucks, and then going back to the water. you got to love these guys. That's a baller move. You're like, no. Trees, no thank you. No, thank you. Goodbye. I'm going to the place where there's the most space. Yeah. They ran shit for so long and some people are like, you know what we got to do? We got to invent the least sustainable way of lighting our homes. That's right. Ever. Yeah. I need to mend my corset. I know. Let's go kill a 200 ton animal (laughs) and wring it out like a giant towel. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. What jerks. Uh, So- Yeah, we're we're innovative, but we're not always efficient. I think that's a that's a great summation of our species: innovative yeah. yet not always efficient. Well, the reason I have dolphins on the brain, and I promise you, this is going somewhere. The reason I have dolphins on the brain is because of a little story that featured two pink freshwater dolphins. They're called Bolivian River dolphins. They were observed by some scientists actually almost a year ago playing around in the Tihamuchi River in Bolivia. These two plucky young gents were notably playing with an anaconda in their teeth. How is this going to end? You know, this, there's a choose-your-own-adventure version of this. I, I will tell you how it ends. It ends with me telling you that these dolphins were sexually aroused and they each had erect penises while they were playing with this anaconda. This behavior had never really been observed by scientists before, and it turns out that, unfortunately, the anaconda, specifically a Benny anaconda, passed away uh, during the encounter. (laughs) I appreciate your gentle approach (laughs) to that most delicate part of this story. Yeah. So everybody's talking about it. It's crazy. But you know why? What's weird about that story is that each part of that story one-ups the preceding element of the story. So it's like, first, it's like, hey, we got these dolphins. Cool. Guess what? They're pink. Awesome. You know, dolphins usually live in the ocean. Guess what? They're in a river. Wow. Know what? They're playing. Nice. With an apex predator. Hello. Who they kill. Uh Uh-oh. By accident. Sure. But they got boners. Wait a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. The pyramid of information on that one is is, yeah. is pretty intense. That's not an inverted pyramid. That's just <laughs> a regular pyramid of information. And at the bottom, it's just lined with dolphin boners. It's sort of what's holding the story up, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, you can see this story catch fire in a way and go across the internet. 
get picked up. The big carrier was the New York Times did its piece, and then everybody else followed along. So the first version that we found, I think, was Business Insider, which... (laughs) They threw their hat in the ring on that one. Yeah, Business Insider to the journalism innocent might seem like a weird place for a story titled Two male dolphins were seen playing with an anaconda while sexually aroused in a perplexing encounter captured by researchers. Mm -hmm. But Business Insider, sort of like HuffPo and Forbes, is one of those sites where now they just have a bunch of crazy stories that they keep in there in order to maintain the churn of like clickbait. So in this case... They picked up the story from New York Times. A similar version also showed up in Field and Stream, Stephen, mm-hmm. and in Bro Bible, River mm-hmm. Dolphins Attack, Sexually Assault Anaconda in Bolivia, which, yep. by the way, is a little bit of uh, presumption. They're not really sure if that was a sexual assault of the anaconda or yep. if they were sexually aroused because they were rolling around with each other. Yep. The anaconda maybe got caught in the middle, maybe was some sort of sexual aid yeah a lot of questions steven exactly could be whatever i hope no one brings their hang-ups to this story either that's right i think we have in our minds a sense that dolphins are playful which again the researchers who published the story in the journal ecology just this month which is what predicated all of the news coverage they say yeah it's it's play we've never seen this particular kind of play before we also know that adolescent dolphins can tend to be horny Interestingly, because they're river dolphins, we don't know as much about them as about ocean-going dolphins. Yeah, because they're always submerged in the murky river. Can't see anything. Yeah. Can't see anything, which, of course, raises the question of, like, maybe the dolphins don't know what's going on down there. They're just rubbing up against everything. They know exactly what's good. They got sonar, man. They got echo. They got that thing. I think it's just a willful ignorance. They're like, you know, it's a, it's a don't ask, don't tell kind of a thing. Okay. Another hypothesis is that they're playing with the snake as a teachable moment because it's indicating that this is a predator that exists in these waters, right? So that's another hypothesis as to why this sultry behavior is going down. And that actually is a great introduction to what we're going to be talking about today. How we as people and how the media as a conglomeration of journalists and publications all love to see what we want to see in stories and events. Yeah. So you're talking about confirmation bias a little bit, where you seek out information that confirms the thoughts and beliefs that you want to carry around. But Stephen, if I know you, I suspect you're talking about something a little more than that as well. I am. I'm talking about a little thing called pareidolia. Certainly one of my favorite dolias. It's this tendency for us to impose our own meaning and to interpret stimuli, usually visual, in such a way that it matches what we kind of want to see in that thing. Yeah. Seeing faces in the clouds. Yep. Seeing a face in a light socket. There's actually a specific element of pareidolia that speaks to that tendency to see faces because certain shapes will evoke an activation of what's called the fusiform face area in our brain. And that is this region of our brain that kind of lights up and helps us recognize faces specifically. So, and this has been sort of proven is that, you know, when you look at something like the light socket is the easiest thing to kind of bring up. You see that little face or, you know, the man in the moon, etc. Anything with two dots and sort of a line, we'll read a face into that. Yeah, and that tracks in terms of the 
parts of the brain that sort of light up when uh, those specific shapes are encountered. You know why that is? Tell me. Well, it's because we evolved it that way. We are such a social animal that our brain got hyper-developed when it comes to interpreting faces and mm. particularly expressions yeah. because we always needed to know what someone was intending, what someone was feeling. We needed to be able to process as much information on the face as we could mm -hmm. so that we knew whether they were hostile, whether they were friendly, whether they wanted to roll around with an anaconda. Mm. And consequently, our brains got real horny for faces, for hey. anything like faces. So uh -huh. now we just sort of see that stuff everywhere. Look at that. So, okay, pareidolia, you see faces all over the place. Not just faces, whatever. That's the thing. It's not just faces. Pareidolia, it, it, it encompasses like a Rorschach test is basically leveraging pareidolia. So a psychiatrist or psychologist can make an interpretation about someone's inner life. It's not just yeah. faces. Which, of course, that is itself just pareidolia on top of pareidolia. Right? Oh. The shrink is like, here's what I want to see. In what you want to see. Oh, but yeah. The Freudians have sold a lot of books on that principle. But so, Stephen, if I may ask you a question, uh, what does this have to do with media? Well, you know, earlier I had said that today we're going to be talking about how we all sort of bring our own baggage to every single thing that we read, and we all make our own inter interpretations of every event that we hear about, okay? And I'm going to make a little bit of a jump here. I'm listening. Okay. So one fairly common example of pareidolia can actually be found on the red planet, the planet Mars. I like that you used its formal title. Um, yes. <laughs> so an example of pareidolia uh, is this phenomenon of people seeing a, the face of a man on the planet Mars. Oh, yeah, I remember you, that. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Haunt. very handsome fella. <laughs> you think he's handsome? Okay. I mean, in a creepy sort of he, way. He, yeah. looks like, he looks like Jason. He looks like he's wearing, like, a hockey mask. You see what you want to see? I see. An inspiring figure. True. This is actually an example of a mime to lith, where rocks will form in such a way to sort of, you know, look like one thing or another. And uh, the Red Planet was just in the news as well, jockeying for position you know neck and neck with the dolphin story but yeah. it kind of equally important news so president and coo of uh spacex gwyn shotwell actually told cnbc's shep smith recently a, a wee bit of news when do you think we're going to mars we should put people on the surface of mars in this in within a decade i think One it would decade. be in this decade yes people on the moon sooner I mean, I think about going to the supermarket. You think about going to Mars. You think there'll come a time when we're all of that mindset? Oh, absolutely. I think we need to get a large delivery to the surface of Mars, uh, and then people will start thinking harder about it. And then I think within five or six years, people will see that that will be a real place to go. That's big. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that there has been quite a bit of speculation about not just when, but if we're going to make it to Mars. And uh sounds like Gwyn is throwing down the gauntlet on that. Yeah. I mean, I believe her. Uh, you think so? You think they're, they're going to make it? I guess it's weird because it's a private company. Because, like, so what if they don't? What are, they, what are you going to do, vote them out? Well, if they get there, it changes the course of human civilization a little bit. Or at least where we might focus some of our 
future efforts, right? Like, oh, yeah. if they're there now, well, then a lot of money is going to then follow them up to Mars, potentially. I mean, there are a lot of questions about the long-term or even short-term survivability of a person on the planet, given the lack of oxygen, yeah. the general hostility of the environment to human life, which last time I checked has not been there before. No. So the reason why I'm bringing up this story isn't to sort of dive deeper into the Mars thing specifically, but really I find it to be a good example of a news story that comes out that immediately is going to have a whole lot of different interpretations of the same fact. So mm -hmm. in that way, what I'm saying is, is pareidolia isn't just a, a phenomenon that happens in clouds or on rocks on Mars or in light sockets. I think pareidolia is actually a good thing to consider when we want to investigate how we consume and experience the news. Sure. So in this story, for example, there's probably a few different all relatively valid takes. Yeah, let's think of a few. Um, okay. The advance of science. The opportunity to make money, getting minerals and all that stuff and bringing them back to Earth. Why are we paying attention to this? It's more important to focus on problems on Earth. What are we doing sinking all of our money into going to a planet that it's going to be a very, very long time before it's like makes sense for us to live there in any truly long-term sustainable way? Um... The ongoing conversation about the power that corporations have to shape the future of human civilization? Freaking aliens, man. <laughs> yeah, and aliens. That's right, aliens. So, so there we go. But this happens all the time. And I know it may seem like I'm making an obvious or simple point, but I think it's important to consider this innate natural sense or tendency that we have to do this to everything we're experiencing and to consider that when we're reading the news, because all of that is happening inside of us every single time we come across a story. Yeah, sometimes it's even happening literally. There was another spacey story that came out about how the clouds here on Earth had formed into the shape of a G and an O. Oh, yeah. And the media had a fun time saying, is this the Earth telling us to go? Is it telling us to go on vacation? Is it telling us to play the game go? Mm -hmm. On and on and on. But that had a flurry of virality. Sure. It's literally a, an example of pareidolia. And there, there are some considerations to be made about how writers and publishers want readers to be able to see themselves in a story that publishes so that they're enticed to read it and so they connect with the information. But in the case of this weird viral image of... Uh, the clouds above some part of Earth forming the letters G-O, there is actually no there there. It's not a story. It's just a picture. Yeah. The story can be summed up as, hey, look at this picture. But then you got to come up with 500 other words to add to it. So it becomes, <clears throat> what can it mean? And so yeah. that's, the, that's the viral messaging of it that writers then have to put in. Another story this makes me think of, and this was one that went nuts back in April, was... A fox, Stephen, mm -hmm. was running around the hen house that is the White House. Hmm. Apparently, foxes are not uncommon in the heart of Washington, D.C., but this story oh, yeah. made headlines because a fox bit a guy. And that precipitated all these jokes about rabid foxes. And then, of course, left, not quite unsaid, but sort of unsaid, was Fox News is a rabid entity that is running around the White House. Yeah. Now, 
I like to think of myself as a fairly savvy and smart person, but for some reason, the Fox News thing just went over my head. And so it took me a while to figure out why the story was so viral. Was it like, just, oh my gosh. Okay. You think it went over your head? You just I, got it, didn't I you? I just got it in real time just yeah. now. For us, it's anti-pareidolia. We don't see it. We're just yeah. looking at a story and seeing clouds, man. Like, uh, like yeah. what? what does it mean? We're just seeing nature I, play yeah. out its beautiful course without all the political nonsense. I just hope the fox is okay. Yeah. that You know, that's a good question. I looked into it. Couldn't find out what happened to the fox. No, I, think I don't think it was rabid. I think it was just didn't like the looks of this guy. Did it scurry off? His bushy they caught little him. tail? They did. They caught him. A very cute picture of the fox being like, I don't know. I'm don't doing know. my thing. I think the fox passed away. Oh, Stephen. Yeah. I'm sure he's in a much nicer place. Mm-hmm. Hopefully not Washington, D.C., which is a terrible place. Circulating cloud-like beneath all of the stuff we're talking about is that often these kinds of stories are reckoning with the environment, with mm-hmm. nature, with physical forces themselves oh so you know even the mars story it's you know what inevitably comes up is okay this planet is no longer going to be hospitable for us we better find a new home right yeah so more and more now with climate change being such a big consideration for us stories often have a climate change narrative in some way built into them certainly the ghost story Mm -hmm. the question of life on mars and then another set of stories that has recently emerged from here in the West, which is, you may know this, Stephen, but Lake Mead, the big reservoir that provides water to a little city called Las Vegas, is, because of unprecedented drought conditions, dropping to levels that have not been seen in decades and decades and decades. So Lake Mead, the water level's dropping. A couple of weeks ago, some boaters discover a barrel that has emerged from the deeps on the shoreline, right? Mm -hmm. In the barrel, Stephen, this can't end well human remains ah there it is human remains yeah cryptically identified as possibly coming from the 70s or 80s based on i think the shoes or the the collar or the collar yeah it made me wonder i mean it made me really wonder what's the what's the giveaway here is it polyester anyway and then the local sheriff saying something along the lines of we expect to see more barrels emerging Mm mm-hmm The whole idea being all of these bodies have sunk to the bottom of Lake Mead over the decades, either unintentional drownings or Las Vegas mobsters sinking some bodies in some barrels, Stephen. Sin City. That's right, Stephen. Sin City. (laughs) You really are going with the formal titles. You got the Red Planet. You got Sin City. You got... Big Flippers. Big Flippers. I guess that's (laughs) dolphins. Okay. Mr. Bottlenose. Uh, Mr. Bottlenose. Sure. So recently, a second body shows up. So now everyone's off to the races. We're talking about all of the bodies that are potentially down there that will potentially emerge. The subtext of all this, of course, is climate change. And as we know, climate change is really hard to get people to take an interest in. So this is a very clever way of telling a climate change story through the lens of true crime. Yeah. I think there's something in it for everyone, or at least something in it for a couple of different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. Right. But what we're talking about is an event. The water level is dropping. There are some consequences to that. In this case, bodies emerging. And there's a popularity there because it's salacious. I'm sure there'll be a 48 hours episode about all the bodies popping up. Mm -hmm. But you can sort of read it a number of different ways. It could be about the history of the mafia in Las Vegas. 
could be about climate change and its sort of long-term effects on the West. Yeah. I mean, do you think that they knew how, like, sort of poetic that was going to be? Or is that just... I guess it just sort of happened, right? I mean, they found the body. But, like, that's, like, there's no more perfect, actually, now that we're unpacking it, metaphor for what climate change is, other than exactly what you just said, right? Like... Yeah. I think it's a pretty good one. I mean, I think that's why it's got such legs and why I feel quite sure that every time a body shows up, there's going to be a new story about it. Do you know what kind of barrel it was? Yeah, the classic 50-gallon drum set kind, I'm sure. Like an... Oil drum. Stephen, yeah. very good. Whoa. One thing that did not get addressed in this, because I think it's both extremely obvious and also kind of we don't want to see it, is Lake Mead is a reservoir for drinking water for Las Vegas. And now these stories are telling us, oh, there's dozens or hundreds of bodies decomposing in your drinking water. Oh. And you're just sucking it down all the time. Whoa. That was like the fox thing. I didn't even think about that until just now. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was what I continue to think. The idea that water is being drained so that people can drink it in the same paragraph as, oh, yeah, and then there's some bones and an old polyester shirt. Eh, you kind of can't help but think about one's relationship to the drinking water that is coming out of their taps. So there's another take. Is this story about climate change or is it about drinking water? Yeah. So how does this connect to pareidolia? Well, pareidolia is an evolutionary adaptation to faces, right? It was something that evolved because we needed to know what faces were doing. We needed to understand how to read them. We needed to know what meaning they imparted. It was extremely important for our survival. So the idea of interpreting the meaning of things for the good of the tribe is sort of built into that. And now the kind of evolutionary leftover of that is seeing faces in electric sockets. And too, maybe like what we were saying about the Rorschach test, where someone interprets an inkblot and then someone interprets their interpretation of the inkblot, the stories that we're seeing are themselves interpretations of previous stories, which are interpretations of previous stories. So there's all these layers of stories built into the phenomenon of bodies emerging from Lake Mead. Well, you know, one story where there appeared to be just an absolute true consensus um, about what occurred in a given event. Hmm, what's that? Those pink river dolphins with erect penises accidentally killing a river anaconda in an attempt to potentially educate the, the new generation of river dolphins. Sure, sure, yeah. Or some kind of weird foreplay. Sure. But I do think that story is actually more important than just some weird nature porn because I think it draws a distinction for us between a couple of kinds of stories that we've been talking about. One, like SpaceX going to Mars, that allows us to have a bunch of different interpretations of what it means. And then the dolphin story, which when you look at all of the different stories that came out based on the report, when you look at the different responses to it on Twitter, they're all kind of saying the same thing. They're all kind of acknowledging that dolphins are playing in the river with an anaconda and they got boners and nobody really knows what it means. So it actually kind of defies pareidolia. Yeah. It only is what it is, as opposed to a story that has kind of an agenda that's trying to shape the clouds for us, in other words. Yeah. You know, maybe it's just so unbelievably specific that it's hard to sort of interpret it as anything else. Maybe it just provides us with everything we're looking for. Yeah. Well, Stephen, some things 
can truly only happen once in all of history. And that's what makes them precious. And that's the Big Bang. Yeah. This is, in many ways, <laughs> the Big Bang. It is kind of interesting to think that the Big Bang somehow, some way, like billions of years later, part of that event is this sort of scene of the two dolphins aroused <laughs> playing with the Benny Anaconda somewhere in Bolivia. That's all the same event, depending on how far out you want to, you know, kind of stand back and look at it. I think that's true. It makes us feel both very small and also very big and also very horny. This has been Journos. <laughs> this has been Journos, indeed. Uh, I suppose I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I am Stephen Jackson. We'll see you next time. Journos is produced by Heather Eagle Ears Wilson. <laughs>